0: Welcome to Super Connected. With me, Tim Arnold, and my special guests. We invite you to join us in an intimate and honest exploration into the theme of connection. What it means to be connected to each other, what it means to be connected to ourselves, and what it means to connect in an ever-changing world. David Smallwood is a therapist and counsellor with a master's degree in addiction counselling and psychology. He trained in EMDR, eye movement, desensitising and reprocessing. He trained with Pia Melody at the Meadows, Arizona in codependence and family of origin work. He's the former director of the well-known addiction unit at the Priory Hospital in London and he's the author of his seminal book on addiction, Who Says I'm an Addict? David's specialist areas of interest are addiction and childhood trauma. Jolly subjects to weave into our show this week. But you know, I think they are jolly subjects. I've been a lot jollier since I first met David, who helped me on my journey out of hell, as he has done with countless others who yearn to transform their lives into something as beautiful as they are precious. To me, David is a practitioner of a form of magic, a kind of healer, if you will. And I believe that none of us can ever get enough healing. So that's why I thought it would be great to invite David on the show. Let the healing begin. David, welcome to Super Connected. How are you? Thank you. I'm all right. Yeah, it's great to see you <laughs> uh,
1: in the times of stress, but but uh, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, so we, we, we're we obviously um, we're pre-recording in my studio, as Soho Radio in London have had to... Um, take on board what's happening with the outbreak with coronavirus but um and you you obviously i apologize for being late uh, I Try I ran into a bit of um uh, crazy shopping uh, up in Moswell Hill <laughs> 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 and uh, was here much later than I thought I would be now um we were just talking beforehand that obviously the the subjects of psychology and therapy Addiction and, uh, and codependency all can sound quite lofty and removed from many people. But for me, they're just, they're all, they're parts of my life. But actually, I think they're part, parts of everybody's life. You've been counselling professionally for over 20 years now, haven't you? Yes, yes. And I think your book, which we'll talk more about, is, um, you know, is a great contribution in terms of, I don't know, un um the whole world of self-help and, um, and spiritual growth and, and how our human behaviour actually can be uh, transformed if we want to and you know, find practices to apply to it what's what's your experience been in terms of um, just you know your clients and what's happening at the moment with coronavirus panic anxiety has that uh, played into your your yeah. sessions
1: well uh, the, it's, it actually uh, uh, falls into quite a good category there because um, I deal with a lot of addicts and uh, because I deal with that particular spectrum Uh, addicts are prone to anxiety, frustration, anger, despair and if you isolate them and put them into a a house, a box they're liable to do anything. So for me what's happening is quite uh, difficult for addicts to deal with because the, 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 the the real core of addiction as far as I'm concerned is not being connected in the first place. That we find ourselves outside of the herd, if you like, for want of a better expression, mm. um, and feeling isolated, which then brings up all of the basic human uh, feelings of fear and anxiety that something awful is going to happen. Yeah. So isolating people in in the job that I'm in is not good I want to get connected with people it's you know if I have a skill it's to be connected to people of course and I think that's vitally important it's not as easy to do I mean if, if I'm I'm told you can't do one-to-one sessions you know in in person then I'm quite happy to do uh, Skype or or uh, FaceTime or whatever yes. but
0: it's not the same you know that connection is really important yeah and actually i mean that's the the main reason i i wanted to do these shows it's about connecting and that was part of my uh feeling about the difference between the connection of what we have at the moment this is being in the same room with each other seeing each other being able to make eye contact and then what's what's much more usual now which is we're connecting via texts messengers on facebook or even disconnecting Or disconnecting. Yeah, more more of that. (laughs) Sure. And we've we've all got... I mean, I'm trying to remain impartial in terms of uh, technology and how it's either connecting or disconnecting. I think there are positives and negatives. For me, it's been mostly negative. But luckily, I found that out a few years ago and started taking steps to to, to try to deal with it. But... um, in terms of what's happening at the moment i mean uh, you said that you know for for addicts that it's it's a it's obviously it's so important to be able to connect um it's why the, things like time. AA and na
1: work because it's it's a connection with a lot of people who have the same issue and when you when you are in with a crowd of people who understand you have the same feelings mm-hmm. your level of distress comes down uh, and you're able to access what what you need for recovery uh, and that keeps people so in early recovery for instance if you if you go to an AA meeting they'll tell you to go to 90 meetings in 90 days yes because if you're going to a meeting you are connected now you want to don't want to do that for the rest of your life but in in the early stages it's a really good way of being connected.
0: and um- at the moment i don't know you probably have the same thing with in terms of loved ones and family uh, uh-huh. you know uh really close friends or close colleagues uh we're depending massively on on technology we're depending massively on remote connection yes to be able to hear and see the people that we care about um who we can't necessarily see in the way we we choose to if we could um and I, I was talking to somebody that works for Nokia Bell Labs uh, yesterday, which is an sort of innovation tech, technology company, very much focused on how uh, technology has advanced over the last, I don't know, 20 years with the digital revolution, but there are still many aspects missing that deal with our emotions mm-hmm. and the way emotions connect. So, for example... You know, when you connect with somebody in the same room and you're looking at them and, and there's body language and, and, and actually seeing there is one kind of emotion. Yes. And then another kind of emotion, it's still an emotion, but it's a different emotion when you're in front of a screen. Mm. And we have mostly trained ourselves to think it's a great replacement, mm. but actually it's a completely different, different emotion. Am I right? In saying, Absolutely, in, I, I think As so. a
1: psychologist, you, you... Personally, I think that, that we... Uh, we have this amazing situation where we can be connected to people across the world instantly. You know, you can phone somebody in Australia Mm. uh, on on the internet and and be instantly in in touch with them. But in other aspects, it actually disconnects people because it is really important that people have a face to face Mm. body present uh, communication. And what you can't get or I can't. I certainly can't get on a on a screen. Are the microfacial features that tell me how that pa- pa- person or patient is really feeling? You know, we pick up lots of ke- keys from people that we don't kn- we don't know that we're picking them up, but we are. Yeah. So you know, you can see someone when someone's grinning or someone's angry, but there's lots and lots of emotions in between that that we yeah. pick up uh, subconsciously almost. And uh, you don't get that through a screen.
0: No, and yet. Um it's great for for things that don't depend on emotions yes. yeah i
1: mean if you've got a loved one that lives in australia it's great to be in touch with them and you can do that on now mm. on a on a daily basis i mean you you go back 40 years it would cost you quite a lot of money to have a phone call to australia once a month mm. now we can do it instantly
0: now um obviously i've read your book who says i'm an addict Yep, which hmm. is fantastic as well because it doesn't it, 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 like some of um the many Experts in addiction that I've met on my travels, um, it, it doesn't distinguish addiction as something just to do with drugs, no, or alcohol, no, or whatever. It's it's a thing of its own, mm. and uh, and it's up to the individual quite often where they choose to associate their addiction, or where they get the opportunity. Yeah, where, yeah, what's available to mm. them, um, and and the the really. Um, both exciting and frightening part of of the book that, that that sort of touched me and has made me think about it ever since was you talking about the limbic system. Yes. Um, Would can you talk about that in, in case somebody's just heard me say limbic system and yes. thinking what the thumbnail hell is that? that? Okay. I think definitely you should be the person to do okay. <laughs> explain. Okay. So it.
1: this is a, th- a thumbnail sketch. So um, our brain consists of various parts. Uh, we think that we have control of ourselves via our cortex. That's the crinkly bit in our cranium that, you know, if you look at it, it's, it's all crinkled and furrowed. That's the, 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 the part of our brain that does reasoning and it does processing. So, you know, we're talking, using it at this moment in time. However, there's a much more uh, primitive part of our brain midbrain limbic system um, which uh, and and specifically a very little part of it called the amygdala which responds to threat okay so for four million years we survived as a species only 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 by collaboration if you are a single entity and you're living on the savannah in africa you're not going to make it through the day Something's going to come along and bite you, okay? But as a collaboration, as a tribe, we can survive. So our limbic systems are are very, very acutely aware of all this going on, and our limbic systems pick up threats very, very quickly. Now four million years ago it was to guard against wild animals but that's now almost in our well i think it is in our dna it's part of our very being that we have an alert system that saves us from danger and when we that part of our brain is triggered when that amygdala is triggered it sort of hijacks your cortex your cortex might not as well be there it acts you so if i threw something at you you put your heart your arms up and, and go mm-hmm. out you know whatever uh, and, and then the second thing that happens is that that threat is then stored in another bit called the hippocampus, which is just a memory, uh, ready for the next time that happens. And you can't take it out. It's there. Yeah. So if as a child you are threatened by an adult, you know, or or verbally abused or bitten by a dog, your amygdala reacts to that and you put your arms up and cry and get attention. But then it gets stored in your uh, hippocampus so after that you could be 35 years old and if you see a dog like the one that bit you you're going to have the same reaction almost as if it happened right that second okay so it your 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 limbic system doesn't respond to age it's just instant okay it happens it, it mm-hmm. responds at the age that you got the first uh, stimulus
0: yeah okay so if we go through life so it's not in a part of our memory that we can easily access well we, we certainly can't take it
1: away you know, you can't change history. Well, the only Amer- only people I know who can change history are Americans. They're very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I can rewrite it, it, it easily. Yes. Um, but uh, we have this, this, this system that reacts, and it's there locked in your system. Now, then, if you happen to be, <clears throat> and I guess this is where I believe the core of addiction is, if you happen to be slightly more sensitive when you're born, okay, Whatever happens to you will impact on your your limbic system more than other people. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now then, if you're walking around feeling more sensitive and those things happen and you don't know what to do, if you have, even as a very young child, you know, our limbic systems are online learning and hearing and feeling from the day we're born. Mm. OK, so things that happen to you all the way up to about 17 years old get locked in that that process. Uh, and if we are in distress as a result of that, uh, I, and I guess this is I would appeal to anybody that's listening to me talk at the moment. I, li- I heard this guy called Neil deGrasse Tyson on the on the uh, on the, the web the other day, and he was saying a life lived in fear is half a life. Okay, so I really would appeal to the people who are in fear of any description, who are anxious, look at what's happened to you, look at what you're doing and say, is this affecting my life? Is this hurting me in any way, shape or form? Mm. Am I living life to the full? And if you are, just examine what it is that makes you uh, uh, that way and how you you deal with that. Now, I'm not trying to make people into addicts. I'm just saying that, that if that's happening, then there's probably some distress going on.
0: Yeah, and and we all find it so easy to think that our version of living is normal. Yes, and we do that quite quickly uh, as we become adults, don't we? We just sort of we sort of take whatever's thrown at us and uh, accept that there isn't an alternative way that we may be experiencing life with our friends or family or work, and that's the way our life is. But actually, Absolutely. there's more. We have more power, don't we?
1: Mm. Uh, yes. Yes, we do. But, you know, what happens is that the behaviour that you see as a child is you have no reference point, you know. So, for instance, if a child sees its dad get up and bang his head on the door uh, before he walks through it, and then mum does the same, then when the child's able to open the door itself it's going to do the same thing Mm. it would be then the child goes to school and finds out that that's
0: utterly ridiculous and everybody laughs when he does it but nevertheless that the
1: behavior becomes
0: normalized i mean you've just used a really um sensitive way of explaining how i don't know maybe abuse and yes um very painful um things like that can just become normalized in some people's life and I don't mean just physical abuse any kind of emotional abuse or psychological abuse that we learn and mimic yes what we see there's this
1: lovely lady in America called Sharon Wegside Cruz said what we see we learn what we learn we become and what we become we teach So this stiff goes down through generations because we have no other reference point to to take us in a different direction.
0: Yeah. And so in terms of... um, uh, It's my my pet subjects, social media. And and the way um, many of us uh, are addicted or have addictive qualities um, in association to uh, social media... um, is that treatable? Sometimes the same way. I mean, I, I like to think I've got a fairly healthy grasp of my uh, online <laughs> activity, um, but I think, like everybody, I'm always on it for longer than is healthy for 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 my for my brain. Really, sure. it's a lot of stuff that we just keep kind of mm-hmm. and 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 you know, Facebook and those companies have all admitted that uh, there is a conditioning method that they use to try to keep you. On it for on your own for as long as possible, have you had experience with with some of your patients oh yes uh, uh, yes uh,
1: and, and i'd say if you're looking at anything that potentially is addictive, the question you have to ask yourself is uh, there's two things: does this cost me more than money okay does this cost me more than i 'm paying for the process, mm. and do I do this despite increasing negative consequences so for instance if you're online and you have a partner and online gets eight hours a day and your partner gets 30 minutes there's something clearly wrong with that does Mm. that make sense yeah so how much is it impacting is it causing you distress is it causing somebody else distress so they're, they're the criteria I use because you know I'm not here to say that Anybody's behaviour is wrong or right. Yeah. You know, I'm not I, I can't as a human being saying say that somebody that's using heroin and happy with using heroin is doing something wrong because it's their life, not mine. But if it's costing them their health, their well being, their bank account, their relationships, you know, their physical sort of uh, uh distress, then you know, it's worth thinking about and, and doing something about it. So, you know, the, the, the question you need to ask yourself is is this causing me me hassle
0: i mean it's like most most of life it's about trying to find a balance Balance, yeah isn't it yes and um that, if i ever find it i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too i think you're more likely to find it before i do um <laughs> um yeah I, I mean i started this show you know to learn about the ways people connect with each other these yep. days you know um i mean what have been the effect of tech communications and social media, and the massive wave of endless information and constant connectivity we're all subject to? When what it what do you think it's just? Is it just more stress? Is it more? Is it another way to be anxious? Is, is that the cause, or has it caused some really positive um, results as well? I, I think that that like anything else, uh, you know
1: technology uh, uh, science taking things forward uh, enabling us to ease our uh, daily burdens is a great thing I think technology is fantastic if it's used in the correct way but but anything can be used you know to 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 cause harm so if you take for instance I'm a gay guy so uh, if you take the gay community uh, if you go back 15 years there was a very thriving community in, in for instance in the central london in soho in old compton street sure now around the country and in, in soho a lot of the 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 uh, the footfall has fallen uh, because of online apps so guys want to meet guys and they just meet on an online app. Mm-hmm. But the problem is with that is that it's okay. there's nothing wrong with it per se, but look what it's done to the community. It's separated the community out, and now we're, we're you know people are communicating via uh, um, uh, a telephone again. And you know the one thing that, that I know that gay men feel is detached and separated yeah. but they're actually making it worse by doing exactly that.
0: Yeah, I can't remember where I heard it the other day Some somewhere um, it, 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 well, in researching the subjects that I'm kind of approaching in this show somebody said uh, that technology had done a really great job in connecting humanity but we have to find a way now for to get technology to connect us to our humanity yes Mm. which is a different, different thing, thing isn't it? Mm.
1: and i'm not sure we can do that with the the current brain that we have i'm not sure we're able to do that i think currently the way that we need to be is face to face we need to be face to face with people without a screen you without mean. a screen yeah. Yes. yes yeah because also you know what what happens when you you meet uh, somebody you like you either shake their hands, which is a bit formal, but quite often these days people hug each other. Yeah. So 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 important, human physical contact, and I'm not talking about a sexual encounter. I'm talking yeah, about just a, a straightforward warmth.
0: Yeah.
1: Connection with another human being, vital, vitally important.
0: I should say for for my musician pals that are listening that you you are a musician as well. I mean, the first time I came to your practice, I noted the, the lovely guitar in the corner i forgot what yeah, it was is it's, it a guild it's, no it's a martin it was a martin yeah yeah and i thought okay this is this is nothing <laughs> <laughs> I, I
1: wouldn't describe myself as a musician okay uh, an amateur um, uh, um, uh, an amateur learning to play something that uh that uh, i'm not very good at but uh, I, I still like doing it
0: but you yeah you've got a passion for, yeah, for sure. music and I, I guess one of the things i, I wanted to ask you was um what is it about musicians the person that uh, that introduced me to you many years ago well. Um, on two different occasions, uh, it was. I won't mention his name because oh. of the the patient <laughs> doctor <laughs> privilege, whatever it's called. Um, but um, he's doing uh, great now as well. Oh. But um, he, he, he again, another musician. Uh, what 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 is it about musicians? Up until this moment in history, maybe it'll change in the future. But it's quite a good case of the last, I don't know, sixty, seventy years, maybe longer, um, of musicians just ending up on addictive substances
1: well if you think about it it's for me it's a, a straightforward a musician has to be sensitive in order to do what they do you have to have that gift that something special uh that other people don't possess in order to write songs and play them and sing them and the sensitivity is the bit for me that causes the addiction or can potentially cause the addiction. So, if you have a musician who's striving to uh, to produce all this stuff, and at the same time uh, 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 not feeling good about themselves, you, you know, you can have people who uh, are amazing musicians or amazing designers or what, whatever it happens to be, mm. but still don't feel good about themselves, who end up committing suicide. Yeah, you know, or going off the off the, the, the planet uh on drugs and alcohol and if you think about it if you're a musician you're either like 100% or 120% or you're zero mm. you know once people think that you're great yes perform here perform here perform here perform here you get tired you get worn out and then somebody comes along and said this will help you mm. you know and um, instantly you're hooked on it because what works works so if i if i'm at a gig and somebody says here here's a line of cocaine Try this. This will give you the energy, and I and it works well. Clearly, I would do it again, wouldn't I? Mm. I mean, it just makes common sense. So, but the sensitivity is that I need to keep doing that again and again and again, and over a period of time, we then become dependent on it.
0: Yeah. That's the key word: dependent. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, my my journey through addiction um, was at, at the beginning of trying to. <laughs> Enact a life of some sort of sobriety and functionality yep. was was based on the idea of I'll fix this and then I'll get on with my life. Life, yes. It's yes. not. It's I'm. This is part of my life, and I'm going to um, accept it and work on it until I die. Yeah. Is the, is what I've learned since. Yeah, absolutely. You I've never stop working. No, on it, uh,
1: I've been uh, clean for uh, thirty two years. Uh-huh. Um, But I'm no less an addict now than the day I stopped drinking, using, you know, I I was, I was hooked on benzodiazepines at 16 years old, and alcohol at 18. Um, And that for a a period of time, it was Nirvana, you know, everything was fantastic
0: but of course it takes a toll it does i i I was forced to evaluate all my dependencies um a few years ago including music yeah to be honest yeah and before I could carry on with it in a functional way that I knew that it was only doing me good because of course it's a weird thing to say maybe mm-hmm. music doesn't necessarily do you good but it's up to how you interact with it what you what your expectations are what you do with the joy you get from it yes there's a whole sort of journey that I went on but for anyone who's just coming to the subject of codependency for the first time I'm just going to read what it says it is okay um, which you can tell me if it's right or not Uh, codependency is a behavioral condition in any relationship where one person enables another person's addiction poor mental health Immaturity, irresponsibility or underachievement. Among the core characteristics of codependency is an excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. I would keep it simpler than that. Oh please, yeah. That's that's me just
1: grabbing something from Wikipedia. I was talking to Pia Melody one day, and she's. I said, "What would you?
0: How would you define codependency?" Let's and just tell said, our listeners who Pia Melody ah, is, because Pim- sure. she's a legend in in, yeah. in this field of work, and uh, wouldn't exist in some ways without what, some, what she's done. Would Absolutely,
1: it? Uh, uh, Pia Melody uh, is from America. Uh, she lives in Arizona, in a place called Wickenburg, uh, which is just north of uh, Phoenix. And uh, she was working as a nurse in a treatment center where her husband was the clinical director, mm. and she noticed some behaviours happening with people who were coming through with their, you know, uh, um, addictions, and uh, started to sort of investigate why that was and look at the situation, and came up with uh, uh, a a way of dealing with it, um, uh, which they call post induction therapy. It's, silly term but it doesn't matter um at the meadows now they do something called a survivors uh which is to deal with your codependency it's a week-long program it's mm-hmm. fantastic i've done it it is life-changing but what she what she saw was the behavior in people that was detrimental even when they'd stopped using mm. it was still detrimental to their well-being and tried to figure out what it was and realized that's over that's it the c- curing your addiction yeah. is just the beginning it's of stopping it it's, it's not curing it it's, it's not, not it's, it. it's not the problem
0: yes
1: stopping not... addiction stop it going to 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 aa and na are great that deals with the addictive part of you but it doesn't deal with the problem because the problems underneath yeah. and 99.9% of the time it's in childhood so she realized that um, uh, that if you wanted to give people a, a, a you know a, a contented life, if they had depression, if they had bipolar, if they had addiction, you need to deal with the underlying issues. Mm. Otherwise, the chances are they'll go back to it again and again and again. So she said to me, yeah. I think uh, that uh, codependence is the inability to have a good relationship with yourself. Yeah. Okay? And then what we do is we choose a person or a thing – or a substance to distract, distract us, us. <laughs> which is a codependent relationship yeah. so we we de- start to depend on something else mm. for our well-being and that's not good now whether that's a human being and we depend on them or we depend on fixing them which is another way of doing it so codependency works in two ways either you can be submissive in other words fix me fix me look after me yeah or you can be dominant and go, I'll fix you, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and I'm then go because
0: okay. <laughs> I've done all of these. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we can do both. Yeah, we can do both. It's a nightmare. Um, it's funny the way you describe that idea of, uh, yeah, that's a re- much simpler and, and more honest way to describe it. It's a, a codependency is an inability to, what did you say? Have a good relationship. Have a good, with good relationship the, with, with yourself. yourself. And and it's almost that sort of you look at yourself and r- almost immediately you you swipe to the next person. Yes, I'll, I'll concentrate on you instead. Yes, and it, which is weird because it's that is how those apps are built. Absolutely, relationship apps, yeah. aren't they? This swiping. I'm not sure. I've heard people swipe right, swipe left. I don't know really what it means. But I think that's uh, for the. Um, I'm old fashioned. I like meeting yeah. people in real life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but it is that sudden kind of nope, nope, nope. Yeah. You know, and you go on to the next thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's a dating app thing, isn't it, where they this white, yeah. right to left. Uh, I I don't
0: know, I don't know it works. I've been on one. Yeah, I met I my know. partner on on our own app that's called Tender. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, we invented it. So, um so that idea of it being a relationship with yourself that you're not coping with is everybody, isn't it, to an extent? Yes. I think that codependency
1: and again, I was having a conversation with Pierre about this, that actually it's probably the human condition. We're all a little in that way. We all have... Because nobody, I don't care who they are, nobody has a perfect childhood. There are issues that come up in childhood that cause children distress. So we're all a little bit. But it's a little bit's okay. It's when it's a lot, when it gets out of hand, when it causes you harm. That's when you have to do something about it.
0: Yeah. And so... Addiction is a component of codependency?
1: It's part of – it's one of the, the, the things that you can use. So, for instance, you could almost say, uh, like, OCD is another way of coping with it. Right. Because OCD is about being in control. You can say anorexia is, is about control and anger, you
0: know? Yeah. That, so there are different choices that we make as individuals yes. which are – uh playing out or not playing out codependency. It's a, it's a it's yeah, a dependency. And addiction can swap almost
1: like instantaneously. So I've people seen people who are grossly overweight mm-hmm. become anorexic. Yeah. I've seen people who are addicted to alcohol stop mm. and become completely obsessed about sex. You know, whatever. My when I stopped uh I was confined to a psychiatric hospital for three months. And when I came out of there I was eating about eight Snickers bar a day yeah. and consuming caffeine like it was going out of fashion. <laughs> and my smoking went from 20 to 60 a day. Now, I had no clue that was anything to do with addiction. Mm. All I knew was that I had to stop drinking. And I did. Yeah. But it was sort
0: of acting out all over the place. It strikes me there's that kind of... Um, there's, this, there's, there's a approach that we all must try to take when dealing with these sort of issues there isn't black or white, is it and no. that, and it reminds me of a lot of different things that i I've, I've, <coughs> I've stumbled on. One of them was a Buddhist monk in Thailand who said um, uh, nothing is certain even though the world is changing mm. and it's this it's neither negative or positive. Mm. No, it's a really, it's a really beautiful. It just is. It's just true. Mm. Nothing is certain, even though the world is changing. You can take that into a very doomy, uh, you know, um, sort of meaning, or, or it's really exciting because mm. you know things might get better. But, and and it's the same with you know I've done been involved through my partner with a lot of um experiences and and, and study of dreaming and and liminal dreaming and the space between waking and sleep, which, again, is this don't try to be one thing or the other. Um, this space that you're talking about that we need to address, you know, it's not I must stop my cigarette addiction and then that will equal success or mm. whatever it is. You know, mm. There is no definitive um, result in no. this kind of no, pursuit no. where we're trying to look after ourselves. Yes. Is there no?
1: uh, There's no such thing as a perfect recovery. I don't believe that person exists. But what we can do is we can be as moderate as we can. There are certain things I can't do. Mm. I can't use drugs. I can't use alcohol. I can't really smoke because that's dangerous. I know that's dangerous. But uh, you know, everything else is on a on a on a spectrum. And you know, providing it's okay for me to have a cream cake. Mm. It's not okay to me to have ten cream cakes. Mm. Does that make sense? So it's about yeah. balance, and that's very for an addict
0: like me, very difficult to do. It's hard. Yeah. Um. There was I I, I attended. I've attended two Coda workshops. So Coda mm-hmm. is obviously the twelve step program, you know, equivalent to AA and yes. NA for codependency. Um, and the first one was was in London, and it was really. Um, it's really beautiful and Ken and Mary the the co-founders were you know holding them presenting that and, and, and I learned a lot the second one tore me to pieces <laughs> I went to Liverpool and and then I got I okay I'm not just doing something uh, for fun here it's not like a you know oh I think I'll try this course it wasn't that at all it was really digging deep into like you said childhood trauma and 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 I just, I just wonder what you think about this. There's something about understanding your own childhood trauma that isn't, when you do understand it or you, know, you sort of remember or you, mm-hmm. you connect, it, there's a great sense of um, relief but also complete hopelessness as well. Sure. Because you, you suddenly go, oh, come on. Mm. How am we going to fix that? that. <laughs> uh, I do
1: very much believe, you know, there are a lot of people who would uh, call themselves trauma therapists. And I have no uh, beef with that. But for me, a trauma therapist is somebody who identifies the trauma, but then does something that helps to fix it. Because anybody can, can pinpoint trauma. Anybody can... Uh, point a finger and and dig out the trauma from childhood mm. but that's not fixing it all no. that's doing is re-energizing it actually it almost makes it worse
0: exacerbating
1: yeah yeah so you know uh, things the, there are only three things i know um from my experience that really really work for for trauma so one is a peer melody model uh trauma program uh mm. a la the, the, you know the, there are people who do it in london uh uh, so so that works, mm-hmm. that reduces a lot of the stuff. And I've done it, and I know that's the case. Uh, EMDR reduces
0: trauma. Yeah. It's a long process. This is the eye, eye movement. Eye design. movement. Do yes. so, you wanted to, to say a little bit about that? Because it, 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 even for some people that are just stressed and they yes. have a busy life, it's not like some deep problem no, it's they're not. looking for. It can be yeah. anything. This is a really great method of uh, addressing um, kind of day-to-day problems isn't
1: it i did some training with emdr and uh, it was originated by a lady called shapira in in um in the states and what she noticed is that if you uh rethink through a traumatic event no matter what that is and at the same time you move your eyes left to right or right right to left uh, but keeping your head still so in other words you're moving your eyes but not your head uh for whatever reason it it connects your limbic system to your cortex and it 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 resolves some of the trauma because oh, wow. that, under normal circumstances there is no connection between your cortex mm. and your your limbic system but doing this actually connects the two now I don't know why that works I've no idea but it works
0: did she discover it
1: yes she yeah. discovered it it's sitting in a park one day apparently Wow um, um, and uh, uh, it does work uh, for about 60, 70% of the population it works. Wow. And if it works well, it really works. Now, the only problem with EMDR is that it is it is a long process. So, you know, you can only deal with one trauma at a time, one mm. event at a time. Um, so if you've got lots and lots of childhood trauma, you know, it, it's a couple of years worth of, of, yeah. of effort. Yeah. And the third method is called somatic experience. So somatic means held in your body, yeah. And somatic experiencing actually, it's a, a guy called Peter Levine who's a a, a, a colleague of Pierre Melody's. He mm. works from the Meadows, and he's developed this method of reducing trauma by, you know, a, a, a therapy that deals with the stuff left
0: held in your body. But it's it's still pretty exclusive, isn't it? I like the idea that this is available on the National Health. Sure. Um, there are aspects of that that are, I think, aren't there? Oh. But mostly, it's kind of, uh, can you afford the therapy and can you, and all of that? How does that How does that change one day? Does will it? Do you think more more people? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of addicts um, that would find this to be such treasure if they could get their hands on it. I believe so. Uh, that's
1: been my experience. Um, but there are there are an awful lot of sort of boundaries and hurdles that that, that create problems. So, for instance, let's take the the, the most obvious one. Twelve step recovery works for people. Mm. Now, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for quite a lot. Yeah. Now, it's regarded as heresy in certain quarters of government uh, uh, um, help and 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 you know. Is it? Oh, yes. I, no, I oh, very much. Yeah. yeah. You know, Why? almost. A, well, because it's it's perceived as religious which it's not because i'm an an atheist i don't have any religious beliefs Mm. so but it works for me but but it's perceived as a cult as a uh, as a religious setup which i don't believe it is um but that that sort of sets it apart there is uh the the fact that that the pm melody stuff you know Mm. this childhood stuff is in america it's very widespread, widespread and understood. Yeah. But in Great Britain, it's still in its infancy. So the majority of places where people uh, would get help are still not, as far as I can see, anyway, and not aware that this exists or how to deal with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's why I went to those workshops when Ken and Mary yeah. came over because I just I'd, I'd already experienced the tiny, tiny community of codependency workers in the yes, UK. Sir. It's insane. I oh, mean very, I, very I know small. all of them now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's tiny, but it's such a it's a real revolution in the United States, isn't Ooh, it? I mean yes. it's extraordinary how that's developed I think since the early 80s maybe. Yeah,
1: it? now people are doing uh, childhood uh, uh, trauma. Bessel van der Kolk uh, wrote a book uh, called The Body Keeps the Score. It's a great book if anybody wants to read that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there, there are, there's now a conference around trauma uh, in Boston every year yeah. in September. So it is becoming much more the, the understood norm. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I think in, in 20, hmm, I, I'm going to say 20 because I don't think it'll happen in 10 years, people have much more understanding. One of the things I think that might happen is that a lot of this stuff will get taken care of by the development in, in science of uh, using uh, nanotechnology where they can create uh, um, take your own uh, stem cells spin them down and do the bits and pieces and fix the bit that's that's causing the problem so hopefully psychiatric conditions will be helped by that in in uh, mm. in a few years time uh, but I don't I don't hold out a great deal of hope that this is going to be become the norm anytime soon unfortunately mm.
0: which is really sad yeah it is it is sad I mean the the the, the things that I've um, learned about that's about psychology and, and therapy and practicing your own well-being, loving yourself, uh, developing relationship with yourself, all these sort of things. I kind of think that as long as the world is still turning in 100 years, that, you know, 13 year olds will be just doing this without a problem. <laughs> be kind of, it will just be so but hopefully that's part of our ev- evolution if we get there.
1: I think, I hope that, that in, in 50 years' time, educationalists will understand that, that what's happening with kids mm. at a very early age, at the moment they're treated as if they're like objects. But kids at two years old have brains and have memory. Mm-hmm. A newborn child can remember its mother's milk from ten others after two or three days. Yeah, So that's memory. Now we might be able to not recall that, but the memory's there.
0: Yeah, do you, are you a, a, um, an admirer, fan of Greta Thunberg? Uh,
1: oh yes, very much. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think her courage is amazing. Absolutely amazing. amazing to stand there in the face of some lunatic like Trump, uh, who's you know abusive yeah. towards her, uh, and 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 stand there and just have the 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 spirit to be able to sort of say, the yeah. the, the truth as she sees it. Do you have her
0: thoughts about you know neurodiversity actually? you know she she called it a superpower Mm. Uh, and in some respects it's more I see it as you know all of us are unique every single person is unique and if you put every single person's perspective together we get the truth don't we yes and I I just what's your feeling about neurodiversity in general well because you see
1: unfortunately humans like certainty Mm. they like to put things into boxes because then they can cope with it labels and put a label on it then i know what it is so something like gender fluidity for instance Mm. is an absolute nightmare for the average population it causes me i you know it's again
0: what we said earlier about this trying to be in between Between,
1: yeah Uh, uh, fluid with with, with your outlook yeah isn't it uh but people can't stand somebody that says well i might look like a man but i feel like a woman they just don't
0: know how to do that's not in a box yeah 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 and, um, and 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 so great, I think, for a community of um, anybody uh, that's classified as neurodiverse yes. to yes. have somebody like Greta Thunberg saying, "Yeah, we us too."
1: <laughs> well, I do seem to remember that the uh, the Indians in the, in America had sort of like twenty seven
0: classifications for gender, like yes, three hundred years right. ago. That's right. You know. We've only gone backwards, not forwards. I do think there's that book, Ancient Futures, isn't there? And there is a sense of so many of the things that were lost. I don't know. Maybe they were in the libraries that all got burnt down you know, during the, the Roman Empire. But there's a lot of information which feels it, like it's coming back through time mm. to find us again. Um, our problem, I believe, is that our
1: uh, limbic system is much, much too big. And our cortex much too small. So we are very, very, very primitive things, mm. you know, beings. And we, we think we're much cleverer than we actually are.
0: And technology is a challenge to the emotional side of that. Yes, isn't it? yes. Um, I mean, we're in a time at the moment where I think, where are we today? It's the 18th of March, 2020. So it's it's likely a lot of people are and are about to start losing loved ones yes and when i was asking you about your favorite music um you mentioned the song by eric clapton tears in heaven what's the 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 connection for you um it's about
1: loss you see um Throughout my, my childhood, I was in a state of distress. I think I was in a state of distress until I was at least 36. And um, uh, I, I grieve sometimes for the loss of my childhood and the loss of my adolescence. Uh, I'm not saying there were times when I, I, had, uh, I didn't have fun, mm. but I was always in a state of acute distress. And that song is, is very much about loss and the feelings around it. Uh it's also for me it gives me hope but it's also about acknowledging the depth of the the, of the grief that that people can feel around losing something and in his case uh that lovely little boy um you know i i i admire that guy to be able to come on stage and sing that because i couldn't do it i think it would would tear me apart.
0: Yes. Yes. I I think he's actually stopped singing it now. Um but I, I couldn't do it. Um, David, this has been such an amazing um, hour talking to you. Is there anything that you, you'd like to say further? Um, um, all I can say is to
1: anybody that's listening that's been in distress or or, or, or in distress at this moment in time, um, don't despair. There are people out there to help. And uh, if I can point somebody in the right direction, I'll be happy to do that. Um just get in touch with tim and he'll pass on any messages um i i can't guarantee to to sort anyone out you know but i can help in any way shape or form i can and um you know there are lots of of uh of people around
0: who are in that same spectrum yeah that's really generous of you thank you for being so open and honest and uh you know and certainly with you and i all um doctor patient privilege has gone out the window but that's what the show's about we (laughs) want to be honest and, and 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 just pass on what we know that's good for us david smallwood thank you so much for coming and being super connected with me welcome